Welcome to Jiri Snacks, snackable episodes about the Jiri exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable. We have an affordable $199 online Jiri course that includes everything you need to ace your Jiri exam, which is a full textbook, tons of Jiri questions backed by our memory enhancing algorithm, and full length practice exams. You can try it out for free by going to achievable.me, and if you like it, use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout. Also, if you have a question or topic you'd like, like us to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. Now, let's get started. So today on the show, we've got a new guest, Brian Prestia, who I'm really excited to have here. Um, and Brian, I'd love if you could just give a quick introduction about yourself and your firm and kind of what makes you knowledgeable about the GRE. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. So, um, yeah, I'm the owner of Reason Test Prep. Um, we do online tutoring for the SAT, ACT, GMAT, and GRE. Uh, I've personally been in the business for about 20 years doing this. And actually, the GRE was the first, the first test that I ever uh, got into tutoring. And so I, I really have the most, personally, have the most experience with that test. Um, and, our, you know, our focus is really on the reasoning and critical thinking aspects of the exams. Um, that's really our, that's our, that's our thing. Um, and, um, yeah, happy to, happy to sort of elaborate on that. Yeah. I mean, that is the topic of our first episode today, right? <laughs> is, uh, reasoning on the GRE. And I think that, um, I mean, this is something that, you know, I think a couple of other authors or tutors, um, guests, let's say on the show have talked about, but I also think, I mean, as we talked in sort of the pre, the pre-recording, it was clear that you, you know, had a little bit of disagreement with some of them. And, and I would really love to kind of hear what your take is on reasoning. Yeah. So um, the way that the way that we sort of frame it is that there are really three aspects to the GRE that, that matter. I mean, there's there's other things, but three main things. And so one of them is content mastery, really un- understanding the foundational material that's that appears on the test. Mm-hmm. That's on quant and, and verbal and uh, time management is another major, major factor there. And then the other is reasoning and problem solving and critical thinking. And um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the sections of the test are, you know, quantitative reasoning and verbal reasoning. So yes, you, you need to have the quantitative and verbal foundation, mm-hmm. but that's really not what the tests are about. The tests are about your ability to apply reasoning to that foundation. And so that's, that's really where we find that students need the most help and you, you really just can't have success, you know, great success on the GRE without a focus on that. I mean, you, you can learn the foundation that's important, but if you can't apply good reasoning to that foundation, then you're never going to achieve a top score. Right. And so then what does reasoning mean to you in this context, right? Just to be really clear about what we're talking about. Yeah, it's sort of the higher order thinking skills of, you know, so I mean, we, could, we could maybe use an example. I mean, you know, right. you can you, for for a geometry question, for example, you know, you need to you need to know your area of a triangle and 30, 60, 90 triangles and 45, 45, 90 triangles and things like that. It's important to know that foundational stuff. But, you know, they're really testing the way you can apply that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's the it's the application of knowledge and and the, the sort of problem solving ability that that you that you the, that that muscle that you flex um and so it's it's a little different really on on quant versus verbal so i think on the verbal side it's a little bit more of the kind of critical thinking aspect of it so for example on reading comprehension passages not just understanding what you read 
Um, that's important, obviously, but it's more understanding the author's purpose and being able to read between the lines and pick up on, you know, yeah, author's intention and things like that. Um, whereas on the quant side of it, I'd say it's more about, yeah, applying good kind of problem solving techniques and, um, and yeah, sort of higher order thinking skills that, that the test is designed to really measure. Right. So then where, where are you feeling like you're disagreeing with some of the things that other people have said about this, right? Because so far, everything you're saying is pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, um, I think it might be on a different, on a different topic than, than this one, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I think, uh, I think people tend to, um, under underestimate how important the reasoning aspect of the, of the test is and, and tend to overestimate the importance of some of the um, content content part of it, right? Um, but yeah, no, I think on you know from what I've heard of, of uh, some of the other some of the other guests, I think they seem to be yeah in alignment with that part of it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So then, what do you, what is your so okay? Reasoning is very important, right? And and I think that it's it's a key piece of both quant and verbal. But whether you want to focus on quant or verbal, or whether you want to even do a little bit about each, like what do you feel? are the important things that you need to be thinking about both in like the study process to improve your reasoning skills and then on the day of the test. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is a, this is probably going to be a wordy answer because there's a lot to say to this. So (laughs) yeah. Um, because it it is, yeah, there's a couple, a couple things to unpack there. So I guess, first of all, you know, again, quant versus verbal, it's a little bit different. And then even within the quantitative section, you know, you have problem solving questions and then you have the, um, you know, quantitative comparisons. And I'm using problem solving to basically refer to everything that's not the quantitative comparisons. But even there, there's some differences with like the fill in the blank ones or whatever. So right. I think, um, yeah, so even just, just kind of biting off the quantitative section for a second. Mm-hmm. So I think quantitative comparisons are even, I would argue, even more reasoning driven than the, I mean, I think, I think you have to be flexing, you know, reasoning and problem solving skills on both the problem solving and the quantitative comparisons. Right. But yeah, I think on the QCs in particular, that's really, that's really what those questions are getting at. Um, and in particular, realizing that, you know, they're asking you to compare quantities, not calculate them. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot, a lot of the questions really get at a person's realization that, you know what, I don't necessarily need to know the value of quantity A and the value of quantity B. You know, I could just say straight away that quantity A is going to be bigger um, without without even fully calculating it, Um, you know, or, you know, or that there isn't enough information, you know, to determine it. That's something that you might be able to realize without doing any any math at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also just a lot of trickery, right? Like on the on the QCs, a lot of those questions are really designed to be tricky. So at first glance, it's like, oh yeah, like these are totally equal. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, this, this quantity equal that equal that quantity, but then, you know, you have to have your reasoning hat on and be like, wait a second, like that feels very, very straightforward. That feels very obvious. doesn't make it wrong, but it very likely is going to be a trap. So let me think about why those quantities might not be equal. Right. And, you know, so that's all sort of test taking strategy and, yeah, applying, you know, critical thinking, um, and not just sort of doing math. Mm-hmm. So that's just an example on the QCs. Whereas on problem solving, I think it's more, and this is, this is probably going to echo a little bit of what, um, you know, Charles, uh, Charles was saying on one, I think the engineering, uh, engineers disease podcast. I, I listened to some of that one. Right. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the mistake that many people make is believing that, okay, I'm just going to study the math. I'm going to learn, you know, especially people who come in having studied for other tests that are like that, like the series seven exam or something like that, where mm-hmm. it's like, all right, let me just learn all the content and then I'm going to, I'm going to crush this test. And no, it's not about your ability to memorize and regurgitate, regurgitate that content. It's about being able to solve problems. And so honestly, the first step is in terms of studying, it's just realizing that that's the test you're taking, right? You have to understand that you're not taking a, um, a, a content test, a test that's rewarding your ability to just uh, memorize information. That's, that's not the test you're, you're taking when you're taking the GRE. So just coming in with that mentality, that sort of mentality shift is the first step. And then, yeah, I mean, when you're, when you're doing the practice questions, this can be hard when you don't have someone pointing it out. That's where, you know, that's where tutoring can be helpful, but realizing that, um, if a question is taking a long time, if you're meeting a lot of resistance in your path to the answer, there very likely are much easier ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And the key is really, um, you know, before you get started diving into a question is really asking yourself, okay, you know, how can I best approach this question? How can I most effectively do it? Most people, they just do the first thing that they think of and they don't realize that there's a brainstorming process mm-hmm. that has that, that really should precede that. Um, I, can, I can go into more detail. Like I said, this is going to be a pretty wordy <laughs> answer. I can go more into detail on, on really how to break that down. But yeah, I mean, the first step is realizing that you shouldn't just do the first thing that you think of and, you know, you you need to problem solve and not just do math. Right. And I actually, I mean, my personal experience um, was taking the GMAT, not the GRE uh, back in the day, but it that was the number one thing that I was bad about was I was always just trying to brute force the math questions with math because I was good at math and it was comfortable to me. Right. But that's actually right. not the point. And, and I think it has right. also been echoed a couple of other times by other guests on the show that essentially most GRE problems, and I feel like this may be a bold statement, but you can back me up here or not. Most GRE problems have a straightforward, time-consuming way to complete them, and then a less obvious, less time-consuming way to complete them. And getting the right answer in the least amount of time is the name of the game. And so the latter is usually what they're thinking of when they're designing the question to take less than 90 seconds. You think that's a fair yeah. statement? Yeah, no, that's exactly, that's exactly it. And that's, that's, in the name of, that's the name of the game. It's not just a question of whether you can get the question right. It's a question of how long it's going to take you. And yeah, again, in terms of like, okay, how do you, how do you practice this? You know, you, you can do questions in multiple ways, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's say that you're, you're just really... Um, your, your reflex is to just do algebra every time, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it might, take, it might take very deliberate practice to break yourself out of that, but you can do a question in more than one way. You could, you could do it and do it algebraically and then afterwards be like, you know what? Like, okay, let me just reset here and see if I can think of another way to do this question. And, you know, the more you do that, you're, you're getting a couple benefits there. One is you're building multiple muscles, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, so maybe you are building the algebra muscle and that's probably good too. Um, but then, you know, you do it in a second way and now you have another way of approaching that question. You've got now more than one um, thing that you're good at and you also get a window 
into what's better, right? Because you can afterwards be like, okay, totally, that was silly that I did algebra. That was obviously way more time consuming and harder. Right. And it becomes really obvious in the quantitative comparison ones, like you said, because it might be like, you know, y is greater than four, x is greater than 10, y equals, you know, 2x root 3 times whatever, and then like b, or yeah, a equals this, b equals this. And if you do the math, like you can do it, and you'll find out that you know, quantity A is 47 and quantity B is, you know, 55 root three or something. But right. like, you didn't need to do that. <laughs> it's a lot of extra yeah. work. Yeah. I mean, a great example that, that I was, that, um, that just came to mind as you were saying that is, you know, often there'll be sort of like a word problem. That's like the, the information that, so we're talking about, you know, QCs here, but they, mm -hmm. they give you some kind of contextual word problem. And one quantity is like, something you're solving for in that in that word problem right like you know like, let's j just call it x and then the other quantity is like you know four right mm -hmm. and so most people will like solve you know they'll do the word problem they'll translate it into equations and solve it or whatever but really the, the question isn't asking you to solve for x it's asking you whether x is bigger than equal to or less than four right right so why not just try four and be like, let's see what happens when I plug four in, like either four <laughs> is the solution. And if it's not, I might be able to infer whether the solution is bigger than four or less than four. And that's the difference between, you know, just doing algebra and kind of solving, solving the, the question versus realizing that all you really need to do is compare, you know, that quantity to four. And that's just a much more efficient way of, do, of doing it. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious then you, you made a, a comment about, Basically, when you sit down with a quant problem, you should first diagnose it. Can you walk us through what you feel like is a good diagnosing process? Yeah, again, there's a lot of nuance to this, so I don't want to go overboard for, for the listeners. But let me just try to give a couple of main points. So first of all, one thing that people don't appreciate is the answer choices, right? Mm -hmm. The answer choices are that, that, is, that is a body of information that you could draw from. Whether you're going to actually use the answers or not, you know, you might you might not be actually, you know, back solving and taking those answers and plugging them in. But mm -hmm. the answers themselves can be clues. Right. So that's that's <clears throat> that's the first thing is not just read the question, make sure you understand it, but look at the answer choices, see what they tell you. So, for example, you know, on a on a geometry question, I mean, if I see a, a geometry question, um, you know, I, and I'm sort of taking in the answer choices all at once. Like, you know, when the question comes on the screen, like you kind of can't help but just glance at the answers. If I see, for example, root two or root three in the answer choices, and I see that it's a geometry question, there is a very high likelihood that I'm going to be dealing with a 45, 45, 90 or 30, 60, 90 triangle because that those are the main cases where you're going to end up with a root two or root three. Right. So the presence of those things in the answers already gives me a, an idea of how I might approach the question. Um, like that's, that's a, that's a critical, critical, um, type of thing is, is again, even if you're not using the answers, just what, you know, what, or are the answers spaced really far apart? If they are, maybe I can estimate, maybe I don't need to calculate this all the way to the very last, you know, decimal place. Right. So th that's one, that's one thing is, is just really, um, taking stock of the answer choices. And then the second thing is, yeah, learning how to not just reflexively do the first thing you do. And the way we teach it, the way I would, the two things I would point out are that you need to, you know, you're, you're going to read the question. You're going to start to think of ways of solving it. Typically, one thing will come to mind, if anything, right? Um, and the question you should ask yourself is, number one, how likely am I to get this question right mm -hmm. with this thing that I'm considering? 
And number two, how long do I think it'll take? Right? Like you have to factor that in. So you might look at it and be like, okay, yeah, I, this, this is an algebra question. I know it could be done algebraically, but you know, with our students, you know, when I'm tutoring someone, I'll say, okay, um, what, you know, what's the like, you know, what, give me a percent chance that you think you're going to get this right. And they'll be like, you know, 60 and I'll say, okay, how long do you think it's going to take? I don't know, like three or four minutes. And I'll be like, all right, well, that's not great, right? Like to spend three or four minutes on a question <laughs> and have a 60% chance of getting it right. Like that's, those are not, that's not very, those are not favorable statistics there. So right. don't just dive in and do it. Maybe pivot and say, is there some other way I could do this? And if there isn't, maybe you should skip the question entirely and not even do it in that moment. Because yeah, again, there might be other questions that you'll feel 90% likely and, you know, and it'll take a minute or a minute and a half. Right. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And then do you have any specific tips for the verbal side of the equation here? Yeah, again, I could I could pontificate um, here for, <laughs> That's good. for a That's while. That's good. That's fine. Yeah. So, um, I mean, again, I think this is a little bit different on the um, vocab-based questions versus the reading comp. Mm -hmm. So I'll just, again, to kind, of, to kind of keep this a little bit brief, I think on the vocabulary-based questions, especially the text completions, I think... Sentence equivalence ones are really pretty vocab driven. There, there isn't a whole lot of reasoning that goes into those. There definitely is some, but it's it's not that robust, the kind of reasoning you need to apply there. Right. Um, but for the text completions, you know, that's, yeah, again, that's another mistake people make is they think it's just vocab. Like, okay, let me just, you know, how can you help me with that? It's just vocab. I just need to learn the words. Like, okay, no, that's, that's not it. That's not even the primary thing really on text completions. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, it's really about um, it's really about understanding the clues in the sentence, and I would call that the evidence, right? right. So you you can't you can't just pick a word for the blank that you think goes in the blank. It's it's not a subjective exercise, right? There's an objectively correct answer and objectively you know wrong answers, and so it's really a matter of um, you know figuring out what is the evidence in the sentence. Um, support, you know, what, what, what word does it support goes in the blank. And that's, that is a reasoning exercise of really, you know, breaking down the sentences, mm -hmm. figuring out what the clues are and yeah, what, um, you know, what meaning does, do those clues support? So that's just a brief explanation for the, um, the, the, you know, text completions on the reading comp. Again, I could go way, way, way more deeply into this, but very briefly, what I would say is that there's two levels at which one can read a, a reading comp passage. One is reading for what the author says, right? Mm -hmm. That's like your literal comprehension. Do I understand what the author's saying? And um, that is, people do that automatically, right? Like you're, you're constantly searching for just general understanding of what someone is saying when you're, you know, listening to them speak or reading what they wrote. But then there's, a, there's another level, which is understanding the why of the passage. Why is the author saying this? What is the author's intention here? What is the purpose of this sentence? That is the thing that most people miss. They, they just, they don't, they either don't know how to read like that, or they just don't have that switch turned on. And so that's the kind of reasoning that really needs to be applied. It's not just simply understanding what the, what the author is, you know, what the author is talking about, but really understanding what the point of it all is and what, what the purpose of the different parts of the passage are. Right. And then is there a similar kind of diagnosing step that you go through with these problems on the verbal? Diagnosing as in from the perspective of the test taker, like how to diagnose or as like a tutor diagnosing the problems that a student has. Oh, Oh, no. Um, as, as, a, as a test taker. 
right? Like on quant, you yeah. know, you're kind of like, what are my paths to the answer? Reading comprehension yeah. maybe doesn't have multiple paths. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's less, I, I'd say a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it's it's less of the multiple paths, maybe more of, of diagnosing what type of question it is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, reading this is this is not so much about reading the, the passage, but more about answering the questions, which is a whole nother skill set, really. But yeah, I mean, recognizing, OK, this is a function question. The right. question is asking about the purpose of this sentence. It's not asking what this sentence says. It's asking why the author wrote it. Obviously, mm -hmm. that aligns with what I just said. But yeah, I think part of it is is really recognizing what the question's even asking. Um, is it an inference question? Is it a detail question? Is it a function question? And then based on that, what you know, what is the test maker looking for you to do? Um, I think that's part of it. And then there's a whole nother element. I don't, you know, I don't want to. This is maybe something we can get into on, on a future podcast. But a whole another element of just the answer choices themselves and how to navigate the answer choices. I think that's a whole separate issue, really. Yeah, no, that sounds like that'd be a good one, actually. I might write that down for us <laughs> to do at a future date. Uh, cool. well, well, very cool. Thank you so much, uh, Brian. This has been great. And this has been Jiri Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Brian Prestia from Reason Test Prep. And Achievable has a great online Jiri course. You can try it for free at achievable.me and use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout.